George thought for a moment. I suppose a rolling pin used to be symbolic of female ire. The long-suffering wife was always portrayed with her rolling pin tucked under her arm, face like thunder. Ready to wield it, mused Isabel, should it become necessary. But very few people would get that reference today, said George. In fact, I suspect that an awful lot of people won't recognize a rolling pin. Ready-made pastry means that rolling pins won't be used that much. Isabel thought about the death of metaphor, which depended so much on what we did and how we did it. Flying by the seat of one's pants made no sense in a world of large planes and automatic pilots. Thomas Edison had done for burning the candle at both ends. Too many cooks spoil the broth was meaningless when the broth came in powdered form, sealed in vacuum-packed envelopes like space rations. And so language retreated, lost its colour. Here's something of musical interest, said George, reaching up to a shelf for a rectangular glass-fronted box. The rat's quartet. He placed the box on his desk so that Isabel might examine it. Bending down, she looked through the glass at the tableau inside. Four large rats, preserved by the taxidermist, were seated in a semicircle. Behind them, exquisitely painted, was a backdrop of a Victorian salon. The rats were dressed in doll's clothing, corduroy breeches, fancy waistcoats, jackets, and they sat on tiny bentwood chairs. Each was playing a musical instrument, lovingly modelled. A bassoon, keywork made of twisted silver wire, a small violin with what looked like horsehair strings, a viola, and finally a cello, all to scale. She caught her breath. I don't believe it, she said. George smiled. These were quite common, you know, he said. The Victorians loved them. They often made country house tableaus with stuffed kittens. Kittens playing croquet, for example. Formal balls. Kittens on the tennis court, and so on. Isabel straightened up and looked at George. Macabre, she said. To our eye, yes. Not to theirs. He paused. I suppose they didn't bother to ask how the kittens met their end. Isabel looked again at the rat tableau. She did not like taxidermy and could never understand why anyone should wish to have a stuffed lion's head or a moose on the wall. Such things, of course, glorified hunting, which she found distasteful. Why anybody should enjoy the killing of another creature was beyond her comprehension. People ate meat and fish and that involved the taking of life. But this was done out of need rather than bloodlust. She paused, aware that she was on the border of uncomfortable territory. She was not a vegetarian, and sensed that there was more than a moat of inconsistency in the position of one who ate meat, and yet talked of the rights of animals, or balked at animal suffering. Or was there? Any system of human morality had to be feasible. It had to take into account what we could realistically manage. Could we realistically be expected to forswear the use of animals for our own ends when the clear pattern of all life on Earth was the consumption of one life form by another higher up on the food chain? No other creatures felt sympathy for their prey, but we did, 
and that, in a sense, justified our drawing a sharp distinction between human and animal life. We were special, precisely because we were capable of reason, and precisely because we could feel a sympathy of which other creatures were incapable. And if we were special, then that was justification for treating human life as having greater value than the lives of other creatures. Also, the argument might run. Not that she was happy with that. In fact, there were strong counter-arguments to be made. Professor Singer had made these forcefully and had to be admired for practising what he preached. But this was not the time to go into all that. Not when there was a birthday present to be bought. She had to decide.